shared principles that we have as an organization. Now, in the kingdom, we should have those attitudes and values that are reflecting of God's standards of righteousness and rightness, as opposed to the world system, which largely is self-centered and about just getting you and yours taken care of. And so to understand this, we've looked at this idea of how do we begin to know which culture is really influencing me? Is it the kingdom culture or is it the world culture? And we've said in the past that one of the first ways we can determine which culture is influencing you the most is we got to identify our ethics, which we need to look at what we're actually doing. What repeated practices do I perform on a routine basis. It's one thing for you to say that the kingdom of God is my all in all. It's another thing if we can look at your actions and they don't reflect kingdom culture. Then we can determine based on your ethics, the things you actually do, which culture is actually impacting you the most. Who do you want to please? We also looked at this area in talking about this is that we need to understand to understand how or which culture is impacting us the most. We need to look at the principles or we need to identify, therefore, our values. What's really important to me? What's really important to me? What do I regard as important, worth or having worth or having a, something that's useful to me? You say the kingdom of God is useful to me. The kingdom of God is important to me. But when we look at what's actually important, which, once again, what you do, and we look at what you deem as valuable, we can determine whether or not the kingdom of God is, is in fact, uh, influencing you or it is the kingdom of this world or the world culture. People of the kingdom, people of the kingdom should be people of the book. So therefore, I'm interested in what God's opinion is on things over and above mine. I'm interested in God's perspective over and above the world's perspective. So the world says it's okay to fornicate as if, you know, God changed his perspective in regards to that. Well, in the kingdom, we believe that fornication is not something that Christians should be operating in. And he didn't change because it's 2022. We conform not to the world system, but to the kingdom of God. And you can determine whether or not you really, really, really are, are, are someone that believes in God's ways and his methods based on what you find is valuable. Does spending time in the word, is it something important to you? Spending time with God, is that something important to you? Or is it something that you religiously, mentally, <clears throat> mentally ascend to? So, I want to start here. I want to start here. Um, a couple of years ago, I was teaching this, and every one of these points has scriptures attached to it, but I'm not going to go through and methodically teach every one of them. But let's look back, if you will, at Matthew chapter 28, and then we're going to look at some areas here. Matthew chapter 28, and verse 19 through verse number 20. I'll read this for the sake of um, continuity first in the uh, King James Version of the Bible, and then we'll look once again at the voice translation. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 28, out of the King James Version of the Bible. Then we'll look again, like I said, at the voice translation. 
get my paper Bible out here. Amen. All right. 28 and verse number 19 says, Out of the King James, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, rather, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the world. The voice translation reads that same scripture this way. It says, go out and make disciples in all nations. Ceremonially wash them through baptism in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, verse 20, then disciple them. What does it mean to disciple them? Form them <clears throat> in the practices and posture that I've taught you. And show them how to follow the commands I have laid down for you. And I will be with you day after day to the end of the age. And we've indicated to you that making a disciple can be boiled down into these three areas of number one, teaching or education, showing you what to do. Determine that the last area that really God is looking for out of his so-called disciples is this area of discipline. Disciple, of course, understanding the root word is discipline. And the kind of discipline that God wants for us is that we have self-imposed discipline or accountability. Spiritual growth really is determined by that alone. It's not based on what you do <clears throat> religiously, but rather sees me. And he's interested in me. And my king loves me because he, my king is also my heavenly father. And now the things that he's commanded me to, I submit to because I understand every command that the king gives me is a command that's rooted in his heart, which is love. And so I will impose self-accountability because of the relationship that I have with the king who is my father. Now, one of the things that we got to understand, this is the reason why I started here with what culture really influences me, is that when you look at your life, your current condition is the sum total of every decision that you have made to this point. Everything that's current in your life can be traced back to a decision that you've made at some point in time. That decision that you've made is connected to either the culture of the kingdom or the culture of this world. And one of the things that we really don't like to say is that maybe perhaps because we love to say, well, the devil is attacking me. Maybe I'm under pressure. Maybe you made a decision that facilitated the current conditions that you are in and it ain't got nothing to do with the devil. Maybe that the thing that you are experiencing is this law of consequence and reward and not a satanic attack. Suffice it to say, there are a lot of believers that actually don't move into areas of spiritual warfare, even though we're taught that. It's because they haven't grown up. And the devil's like, fight you for what? You already do what I want you to do. <laughs> Why in the world would I attack you when you don't listen to the king? You basically are, are subcontracting for the kingdom of darkness. We don't really need to have a battle because everything that you are employing has everything to do with what my agenda is and not God's. So, no, 
until you grow up, you may not be qualified to talk about these areas of spiritual warfare to the degree that we are a lot of times talking about at church. Maybe it's just simply you making decisions that are not in line with the kingdom of God, not in line with the culture of the kingdom, and therefore you are reaping the harvest of the seeds that you sown. I was thinking about it this morning. There's, a, there's somebody I know right now. And a lot of times people say, won't you pray for this person? Pray for this person. I want you to pray for us. And sometimes I'll get to praying about something, and God says, no, this has to happen. And I'm like, well, Lord, what's going on? He said, well, there's too many times where the ignorance has operated in their life or they've ignored my opportunities that I've given them for them to grow up spiritually so they can change the trajectory of their life. I've given them so many opportunities to grow up and they've rejected it and they decided they don't want to spend the time here. They want to do that there. And God says what they've been doing is they've been employing spiritual law that's been killing their life. And now this thing has to manifest in their life because of what they've been saying and what they've been allowing. And not an attack of the devil fully, but it is an authorization from your own mouth. Spiritual law. Kingdoms operate off of law. That's another topic that we'll talk about at another session. Praise the Lord. 20 points, though. I'm going to rapidly go through this. 20 points concerning decisions. Because we got to trace the things that we're doing. You say the kingdom of God is God for you I live. God for you I die. God, you're my all. Well, let's look at your decisions. And your decisions will determine whether or not the kingdom is in fact your first or your second. The kingdom is either your first or your third. Maybe something else is influencing you more. Let's look at this. <clears throat> 20 points concerning decisions. 20 points concerning decisions. Got to stick, stick with me a little bit. There are no slides for this, not at least in this session. First thing we've said in the past is decisions are made every day, every hour, every second, or every minute and every second. Decisions are made every day, every hour, every minute and every second. Number two, we said making decisions can never be avoided. There's some people that like to avoid things. And well, we don't, we don't want to deal with that right now. Well, you've made a decision. The decision to avoid things is, in fact, a decision that you're still going to be held accountable for. Number three, decisions can never be truly ignored. They can never be truly ignored. You say, well, I'm going to kick the curb. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to kick the can down the road, if you will. Well, you've made a decision. Well, that decision carries something with it. Number four, denying the reality of a decision does not remove the responsibility of a decision. Let me say that one more time. Denying the reality of a decision does not remove the responsibility of a a decision. Number five, decisions are not a matter of luck. They are a matter of reward and consequence. Reward and consequence. Let me give you a side journey on that. Well, the Lord has been dealing with you that you need to deal with maybe your weight. And I'm one of those, you put me in that category. Well, if I continuously ignore that and don't do anything, well, one day there's going to be consequences and rewards, and they ain't got nothing to do with the devil, per se. What did you do? Because God can either reward that or you will deal with the natural law of consequences in regards to that. 
There are some people that are in the hospital now. You say, well, the devil is attacking me. No, you didn't change what he told you to do 20 years ago. You made a decision which signed on to the consequences that you're operating in now. Let's keep going. Number six, consequences and rewards are a direct result, therefore, of decisions. He says, as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall never cease. So there's going to be a reward or a consequence for what I am currently engaged with. You don't have any time for your kids. You don't have no time for your wife. You don't have no time for your husband. Well, there are going to be consequences or there are going to be rewards. And you've got to see, what am I doing with my time? Number seven, decisions are self, therefore, self-determinations. There's such thing as inherent law. Now, you say, well, I'm just going to speak in tongues 20 minutes and do all this. And all. Yeah, I understand it. But you're making a decision after you get up from your prayer closet that's counter to what God told you to do. And there is natural law that's going to happen in your life as a result of you violating spiritual law. Decisions are self-determinations. Number eight, belief, philosophies, values are therefore determined by decisions. I decide to renew my mind. I decide not to renew my mind. Well, guess what? You are determining which culture is going to have more authority in your life. Number nine, beliefs therefore always are always direct result of a decision. Beliefs are always a direct result of a decision. That's why I don't like the term, I believe for me, this, etc., that. Well, let's find out what God's perspective is. This is one of the issues I have with church. This is, I'm just telling you the truth. There's sometimes there's too much, there's too much opinion in the pulpit that we're telling folks what you think instead of what God says. And there are certain areas in the scripture where God says, no, tell them what the word says and trust that the Holy Spirit is in them just like he's in you, preacher, and he'll be developing and cultivating them into what God said. Now let's keep going. Number, wait a minute, number 10. Your decisions and belief or your decision of faith or belief determines the values of your life and reflect and are reflected in your habits. Let me say that again. We said number nine is belief therefore is always, always a direct result of a decision. Number 10 is your decision of belief or faith is determines or determines the values of your life and are reflected in your habits. We want to see your habits. We can determine what you believe. You say, well, church is important to me, Reverend. Well, we look at your habits and it's really not. You, your habits are a display of your heart. Your habits are a display of whether or not you are kingdom influence or worldly influence. Let's keep going. Number 11, this disciple or discipline is, is a decision of the soul. Discipline is a decision of the soul. What, what is the soul? The mind, the will, and the emotions. Discipline, deciding to discipline your soul is a decision that you make or you don't. Number 12, decisions determine knowledge or ignorance. Some people love to be walking ignorance. They love to walk in there, walking in their opinion as opposed to finding out what something or what the truth is. People love to operate in a lie. 
Verse number 13, verse number 13, number 13. Ignorance, therefore, is a decision. Ignorance is a decision, particularly in our generation, where we have access to all kind of information right on your hip, in your purse, all the time, that other generations couldn't have. I was watching something, and I think it was taking place in the 1980s, and they were hooking up a computer and with a black and a green screen. And I looked at that, and honestly, I don't know what else was going on in the particular scene, but I was, I was amazed as I remembered the fact that getting information used to be a lot more difficult than we have today. When we grew up, we had the, uh, what is it, the encyclopedia set that used to sit on the shelf. If you wanted some information, you had to go and get this encyclopedia out and look it up and flip through the pages and truth be told, it might be dated. It wasn't the most up-to-date information all the time. But you had to do all of these things to access information and now all we got to do is Google it and yet in the church. It seems as if ignorance still abounds where the word of God is concerned in certain areas. Why? Because you're making a decision to embrace ignorance instead of making a decision to embrace knowledge. Number 14, an ignorant decision will not, will not remove consequences then. An ignorant decision will not remove consequences. We understand that even where our law is concerned, ignorance of the law, they say is no excuse. Where it comes to spiritual law, I submit to you, that is also peace. There are a lot of times people operate in spiritual ignorance and they say, well, why is this happening? I didn't know. The devil is a legalist. You need to understand that. And the more you employ things, even out of ignorance, he'll say, I make a demand on what they said. So they authorized me in their life. And God, I make a demand because they said it. And God says, I have to let that go, even though they were ignorant because of the fact they employed the law. Number 15. You are the sum total of the decisions you have made to this date, to this hour, and to this very second. You are the sum total of the decisions you have made to this date, to this hour, and to this very second. I saw this, and I saw this in my heart this morning. You know, people say, well, my marriage is not good. Let's look at the decisions that you made. When God told you, no, you need to do this, did you? God told you, no, you need to give attention there, did you? So you made decisions that were in violation of what the Spirit of God said, and then you can't figure out why you're not getting the result because you are the sum total of the decisions that you have made to this date, to this hour, and to this very second. This is a sermon on responsibility. Number 16, a decision advocated or advocate, a decision advocated is power advocated, ad advocated, redirected to another. So I say, I don't want to make a decision. Well, you are authorizing somebody else to make a decision for you. Now, God calls every single one of us a leader. And we're not supposed to be led around by somebody else or some other force. He says, the day that you decide that I don't want to make a decision or I decide that I'm just going to operate in my flesh, you're advocating the decision to be led by the spirit, to be led by the world and the world culture. Number 17, you can't make a true decision for another unless advocacy, advocacy is granted, which is still the decision of the originator. In other words, nobody can force you to do anything. 
The fact that other people are being led or they're being manipulated is a decision that they have made. And God still is going to hold them responsible for that decision because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And so the Holy Spirit will constantly tell you that some ain't right here, some ain't right there. But if you keep avoiding or disregarding what he's saying to allow your will to be manipulated by somebody else, God says, you are still accountable. Number 18, ownership of decisions removes psychological victim status. You know, sometimes we got to look at the decisions and the sum total of what we are, and we got to have some ownership in it. This happened because of me. No, God ain't had nothing to do with it, and the devil didn't push me into it. I decided God was taking too long, and I did this. This is one of the reasons why God calls uh, David a man after his heart. Because when David's confronted with sin, when Nathan shows up at the house, uh, uh, at the palace, and he says, thou art the man, David doesn't do what Saul did. Would you say, wait a minute, but see what happened was, David says, you're right, I did it. God says, that man I could still use. Now notice, though, in that particular story, God does not remove the consequences. David has some hell in his life for the, net, for the rest of his reign as a result of his decision, even though God still loved him, God still honored him, all of these things. But he had to deal with the results of the decisions that he made. There's a lot of talk today about the grace of God. And yes, God will forgive you. Yes, he will. But he doesn't necessarily always remove the consequences of the decisions that you make. Ownership of decisions remove the psychological victim status. Oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. What did you do? What part did you play in this? Number 19, your decisions impact other people directly or indirectly. Your decision for righteousness, there's somebody connected to your decision to operate in righteousness and holiness. There's somebody connected to when you decide to operate in sin. As parents, as influencers, as teachers, as guys, when you decide, well, I'm just going to do this and nobody going to see it. No, there's a spirit that <clears throat> begins to operate when you do that way, operate that way. There's something that begins to happen when you openly move away from authoritative positions with God and start doing things in your flesh or doing things that operate in sin. You say, well, I don't see anything, but the climate changes. The climate in the office changes because the righteous position you used to operate in changes. We see this once again with David. David, he was a man after God's own heart. He had a private sin, and they begin losing battles. Stuff begins to impact the nation, all because of David's sin. How many things are connected to that little sin that you keep avoiding? That little area in your life, God says, I need you to make a decision to embrace me over that. But you keep making the wrong decision. You think nobody sees it. And God says, there are people that are connected to this. Number 20. You cannot control another decision, another's decision. However, how you choose to respond is a decision of the will. Let me say that again. You can never control or you cannot control another person's decision. 
However, how you choose to respond is a decision or an act of the will. I can't control how you, you respond, but I can control how I respond. Somebody does me wrong. I can get them back or I can be godly. I can do things God's way or I can get in the flesh. I can never control what you do, but I can control what it is that I do. Let's look over, if you will, to 1 Peter. And I'm almost done. I promise you I am. <laughs> First Peter, chapter one. First Peter chapter one and verse number fifteen. As we've been looking at this area of sanctification. Understanding the concept of justification has everything to do with what God did through Jesus Christ. But sanctification is the choice of the act of the will to in fact go through the process of spiritual growth. Sanctification is how the soul is gradually transformed into the image of Christ. It literally means holiness. It literally means purification. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 15, he says, But as he which has called you is holy, he says, So be holy in all manner of conversation. Because as it is written, verse number 16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And we begin looking at and understanding, and I'll spend some more on this again on Thursday, that God is holy. He operates in righteousness because it's a part of who he is. God says in order for you to operate in relationship with me, holiness is required because that's who I am. Holiness is not wearing white shirts. It doesn't have to do with no makeup. It doesn't have to do with any of these outward areas per se. It affects or it impacts the way you operate outside, but it has everything to do with the condition of your heart. The condition of your heart. Look over, if you will, to Psalms 119. The condition of your heart. Psalms 119, God is holy. Psalms 119 and verse 142. Psalms 119 and verse, verse number 40, 142. Scripture says out of King James, Thy righteousness is everlasting righteousness, is an everlasting righteousness. Thy law is the truth. Verse 143 says, Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. Yet thy commandments are my delight. 144 says, The righteousness of thy testimony is everlasting, giving me understanding, and I shall live. Let's look at this at the Amplified Version of the Bible. It says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. You know, it has to become a settled issue in your life that the word of God is truth. That the laws of God is the truth. He says, verse 143, out of the Amplified, trouble and anguish have found me. How many of you understand that's exactly what it does? Trouble finds you. Anguish sometimes finds you. Issues, we can say like that, find you in life. He says, but there is a caveat. Yet your commandments are my delight and my joy. Your commandments, your way of operating, if you will. He says, they are a delight and a joy to me. Verse 144 says, your righteous testimonies are everlasting, giving me or give me understanding, watch this, the ability to learn in a teachable heart that I may live. 
The author here understands the fact that the more words you get, the more law that you get from God's law is essentially what he's saying, the more life you get at the same time. Because trouble and anguish issues do come about. But the decision to embrace God first as his word is the truth and embracing his method is a life to you. He says, this is what allows life to become a delight in you. It's a joy because you've discovered that living godly is worth it. We said in the past that the law of rules without, without love is religion. And the rules with love is called relationship. I wrote this down, and this is where we're going to close for this morning. I wrote this down some years ago in prayer. I felt like the Lord was dropping this in my heart. This concept of moral living is a check in your spirit, quicking, quickly telling you how to behave and act as children. Moral living is a check in your spirit, quickly telling you how to behave and act as children. When you operate, you might not know every scripture, but the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you telling you, that ain't right. Go confront this issue. You need to change there. And then if you allow the Spirit of God to direct you in his word, he'll show you what it is and what it means. Well, this direction of this in explaining is understanding why you behave is the process that happens with maturity. I.e., I have two daughters. One's four and one's 15. The conversations that we have with the four-year-old is vastly different than the conversations we have with the 15-year-old. Why? Because the 15-year-old has more capacity to understand rewards and consequences. She has more capacity to understand the heart of her parents. She has more capacity because she's been here longer. She's matured. Now, the four-year-old, we have to tell her short words. Don't do that. Put that down. Stop. Quit. Because of the fact she hasn't matured yet. And so oftentimes for so many believers, God gives you these short, don't do that, quit this, stop this, because he's treating you as a father would and say, you ain't grown up yet. Because you haven't valued the word yet. So we can't get into areas of explanation. I got to quickly tell you, stop this, because it's harming you. Don't do that. Quit that. Stop. Quit. Don't do it. Put that down. Because you are not able to comprehend yet the reason why. And God says, but the problem is so many folks don't understand that that's not where you should stop in your spiritual maturity. You should be able to get to the point where God says, stop this and this is why. Don't do this and this is why. That comes about with growth, maturity, and development. Understanding the why you behave is the process that happens with maturity. He said to me, just as in the natural with growth comes the understanding of why. Your parents have placed barriers and rules in place for your good not to harm you. If God is not explaining stuff, maybe it's because you don't know enough. And the reason why you don't know enough, because one of the things he says is get to church. One of the things he tells you is get in the word. Because the more the interest of that word gives light. He says the more words you get, the more explanations you get in regards to his creeds, his commands, and his call for you to operate in this area of compliance. To operate in this area of compliance is called 
sanctification. And we'll pick up with there on Thursday. Father God, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we bless you and we praise you for this opportunity to have gotten into your word on this morning. We give you praise, Lord, that you are a good, good father, calling us to compliance, calling us to an area to make the correct decisions is, in fact, an act of your heart of love. And so, Lord, we will receive you in our life as our father. We receive your correction as the act of love that it is. We'll receive your commandments as life and they'll become a delight to us and not a task or a chore. Lord, we have, as a matter of our heart and making a decision, to have a teachable heart so that your word, your law, would be bring life to us and not dread. We thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Well, it's giving time. Amen. Hallelujah. It's giving time. Let's look over, if you will, to Isaiah chapter number 43. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter number 43. And verse number 26. I quote this a lot. I'm not going to give context per se because I'm not teaching this right now, but I want to point this out. The scripture says in verse number 26 of Isaiah 43, it says, Put me in remembrance, let us plead together, declare thou, that thou mayest be justified. He says, put me in remembrance. Well, when God tells you put me in remembrance, he's not saying that for his benefit. He's saying it for your benefit. Why is he saying that? Turn over to Isaiah 55 and verse number 11. He says, put me in remembrance. Put me in remembrance, 55 in verse 11. Not too far over. The scripture says, So shall my word be that go forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So when we put God in remembrance of his word, it's because he said, My word goes forth. It shall not return to me void. The question is not whether or not God will. It's the question of, do you believe it? Let's turn over to Malachi. Malachi. You know, because sometimes I think what the issue is, and, and is we're looking for the spectacular instead of the supernatural. In other words, you know, sometimes we are indeed looking for that abundance, but sometimes we need to step back and look at how God has already done certain things in your life. You say, man, in the month of January, it looked like we were going under. Well, you didn't, though. <laughs> it looked like it wasn't going to happen, but you didn't, though. And sometimes looking forward, the devil say, oh, well, he ain't going to do it this time. Well, look back at what he's already done. Malachi chapter number 3 and verse number 8 says, will a man rob God? He says, yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, where have you robbed me? He says, in tithes and offerings. He says, you're a curse of a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. He says, this is once again a command that he's calling us to a compliance with. He says, verse number 10, bring ye all the tide into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me, now saith the Lord of hosts. What does that sound like? Put me in remembrance of my word. Understanding my word does not return to me void. He says, prove me now, saith herewith. Uh, 
prove me now herewith, saith the, the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing in which there's not room enough to receive. Verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. He says, my word is good. Put me in remembrance of my word where your money is concerned. He said, I will open up the windows of heaven over your life, pour you out a blessing in which there's not room enough to receive. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake if you operate in accordance with the law that I'm calling you to operate in compliance with. Bring ye all the tide and all into the storehouse, he says. And he says, if you do that and operate in faith, he says, I am now obligated to do my part because you did the compliance thing of what I said. Three ways you can give to the training center. One way is by way of our cash app. Second way is by way of our website. Third way is by way of our PO box number, or you can of course give live and in the house. All three ways will be received by the training center. Praise God for whatever seed that the Spirit of God leads you to sow into this ministry. While you're doing that, let us set ourselves in agreement with all of the seeds that are being sown and those that have been sown already online. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we just put you in remembrance of your word. We thank you, Lord, that because we are tithers and we are givers, we thank you, Lord, that we live under an open heaven in which blessings are pouring out upon us in which there's not room enough to receive. We thank you, Lord, according to your word, that you rebuke the devourer for our sake. So we speak the lack and you, we say, go now in the name of Jesus. You have the ability, God, to put us over even in the midst of inflation, even in the midst of a famine. God, you have a way of blessing your people. So we lay hold to your promise and we thank you that the windows of heaven are opened up over all of the lives of those that sow in into this ministry as of obedience to you. We give you praise for it, we give you glory for it, and we thank you, Lord, that even if we don't physically see anything, we believe that we receive it done even now in the name of Jesus. Everyone in agreement with that prayer, they say amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, you may be dismissed. Amen. May God bless you abundantly this week. Praise the Lord.